of this year already. Can you believe that? Hard to believe that. Did any of you read about the lady who sued Hershey's Candy last week? Five million dollars. Another report says five billion. There's a conflict of the numbers, but a lady bought some at Halloween time, some peanut butter, chocolate candy that was supposed to be the shape of a pumpkin. It's supposed to look like this. This is the, this is the shape of the candy in the wrapper. There's a point to this. The shape was this. Well, wow, this is no good. Let's try this one. The shape of the candy was like this, and it's supposed to have that. That was the design of the wrapper, and so she opened it, expecting to see candy, peanut butter filled like that. It was not. It was just round like that without the face. And there's another one uh, that she objected to, so she went and got a lawyer, and she sued Hershey's Candy for, I'll say, at a minimum $5 million for... Uh, lying to her lying to her not to the world but lying to her and the lawyer actually took the case because Hershey's corporation lied to her isn't that crazy <laughs> false advertising she said she was so offended because the company lied to her something's wrong with that person to think that they're so important that they must sue someone to get things right. And then you have other things that go on that are really serious. People really do lie and nothing happens. So it's kind of funny, isn't it? Well, there was a man who fell overboard of a cruise ship down in the Caribbean. The ship had over 4,000 passengers. One guy fell overboard somewhere like that night and they never recovered him. Out of 6,000 people aboard that ship, which is a large ship, they did not find that man after he fell overboard. I guess after a while, someone that he was with said, hey, I can't find so-and-so, and so, you know, uh, they couldn't recover him. 6,000 people, one guy fell overboard. Now, the only person who knows who where that person is, is God. Nobody else could find out, which is a, a tragedy, but, um, and then I read about, uh, a man who, 28 years old, driving a um, pickup truck, a ramp, he came the wrong way, he ran into a van head on, and he killed everyone except one survivor of that van that had a family of five in it. And he was just distracted. And so, uh, not a good way to start the new year for a lot of people, but those kind of things happen. Well, uh, let's see. Next Sunday, we will have the Lord's Supper after the 1045 service. It's in the bulletin, and so take note of that one, and then we will prepare for that. Start the new year off like that. The theme for the new year is, guess what? James chapter, who read the bulletin? I'm afraid to look. Did you get one? Okay, James chapter Four, verse number six. Well, let's take a look. And then we'll get to the lesson from the morning. Hebrew James, chapter four. <clears throat> verse number eight. James four, eight. <clears throat> Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. And so that's the theme for the new year. So beginning next week, uh, a couple of messages about drawing nigh to God. Nigh means draw near or close. And so I'll give you some reasons why we should draw nigh to God. And some reasons why, some not some reasons only, but also how to draw nigh to God. So that's the theme for the new year. And uh, New Year's time is when people try to emphasize faith uh, more. Uh, do more, uh, things like that, which is all maybe appropriate and fine, but uh, this this year we'll focus on the relationship to God with the Christian, 
and how we should draw nearer to God. Okay? So that's the theme. I hope it's going to be helpful to you. I hope it'll be a good reminder in your mind about what your responsibility is as a Christian, and that is to have a good relationship with God, draw nigh to Him. And so for today, let's go to, uh, let's say, let's go to Matthew chapter, John chapter 2. John chapter 2. So that's going to be smoky, no matter where you live. Fire is going to start early. And uh, if you have pets and dogs, you better give them some, uh, something to make them fall asleep. It's going to be loud. It's going to be noisy. It's going to be smoky. <coughs> John chapter 2. Uh, to summarize or to review from the last three lessons, we've come to the place in the life of Christ where Jesus has uh, begun to call some of his disciples, uh, and then also uh, disciples like Simon, also called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James and John, and then Nathaniel, and he'll begin a ministry, public ministry, very soon. And the first thing he did was, in Galilee, he turned water into wine. And so today's lesson is going to be about wine. You say, yay! Well, well let's... <laughs> New Year's Eve, people are going to be drinking a lot tonight. And we'll talk about that. But the he turned water into wine. That was his first miracle of the many miracles that he did. And of all the miracles that Jesus did, not everyone's recorded in the Bible because John the Apostle says, if all the books are written that contain his miracles and what he did and said, you not have enough books in the world to contain them. Now, Charles Spurgeon had a lot of books in his library, over 5,000, maybe more. And uh, if all the books are written about what Jesus did, that's not recorded in the Gospels, he would fill up every book at the Library of Congress, which would be a lot of books. But we don't have that. What we have is the Bible. And the Bible tells us that the first miracle he did was here at this place uh, in Cana when he did a miracle. He turned something into wine. He turned water. He turned water. into wine. Now the question comes down to what is this wine that he turned water into? What was it that he did that made this thing called wine? There's definitions of wine in the Bible and you have to look at every the context uh, to see what the wine was. But I'll give you two main two main definitions of the wine in the Bible. Number one, it is strong drink and number two, it is grape juice. There's two ways to look at this. And I have learned so far, living a little bit of time in this world, that people do whatever they want to do with the Bible. And they will justify something that they do because they found a verse to say, oh, you can do this in the Bible, okay? That will always be. You'll also have even Christians saying, oh, I can do something because the Bible doesn't say not to, therefore I can. Or the Bible says this, and it says, well, there's a little toleration to do that, so therefore I can do that. So we're going to have people in this world, Christians, are going to have different views about uh, what they think they can or cannot do. So I have a position, I have a stance, and you should have one too. But if you don't exactly know what the wine is here, at least you know one thing from other verses, what you should do, okay? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for the time we have to be here. We pray for your blessings on the class. And we ask you, Lord, to be with us. Help us to start the new year off in, in a spiritual, in a proper way, going in the right direction. Help us, Father, to get a blessing today from the Bible. Thank you for those who are here so far. Be with those who are uh, on the way, those will be absent. We know about them. Some are sick and some are working, and we are glad that you got work for people. We pray that you help those who are sick to get better very soon this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so he has called some disciples, and now the first miracle of Canaan was the uh, turning water into wine. Here's what a man said, a doctor, somebody named Cliff Lewis, listening carefully about this miracle of turning water into wine. He says this, at the molecular level, the water, H2O, two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen, was changed into wine. Wine contains sugars, yeast, water, which contain carbon and nitrogen to, with oxygen and the hydrogen. Jesus showed his authority over atoms. Just imagine that. Over something so small. He showed his authority over atoms to disassemble and reform into other atoms. Have you thought about it like this? Of different configurations. To do so indicates mastery. Oh, that's a good word, mastery. You know what a master is? He has mastered the art of whatever. Uh, I hate the saxophone, but some people have mastered how to play the saxophone. I wish there never was an instrument invented called the saxophone. Violin, yes. Guitar, yes. Drums, mm-hmm. Uh, trumpet, sure. 
But saxophone, uh-uh. That is not a spiritual instrument. <laughs> to do so indicates mastery of natural law far beyond our current comprehension. And he accomplished it with no physical exertion. Now, he turned the water into wine. At a wedding feast, he accepted an invitation. His mother, Mary, went, and his brothers went, and the disciples went. They accepted an invitation, a happy occasion, a marriage. And so it is a happy occasion, isn't it? Unless you get married to the wrong person. Then it is a real tragedy <coughs> to go through it, pretending it's going to be okay when you know at the very foundation it's going to fall apart because there is nothing between the two except maybe a physical attraction and the infatuation of being in love. And there's nothing between the two that will hold them together. There's no glue. There's no super glue. Now for the Christian, the super glue is number one, you're compatible. You're both saved. Next part about being saved is you're compatible in the sense that you both have the same desires as a Christian. You both have the same interests as a Christian. Your values are the same as a Christian. And so it's, it's the focus that is important. And when it's not there, it's very difficult to have a happy home. It can happen because God can do a lot of things, but if you have a right foundation, things are going in the right direction, okay? You'll have long marriages. You'll have marriages that last through all the different things that happen in a marriage. And so he came to this wedding because it's a joyous occasion. Jesus Christ in his lifetime on earth, the life of Christ tells us that he was a normal man in that sense. He went to normal functions in that sense, and he rejoiced with others at a joyful celebrated celebratory uh, uh, opportunity. So he went to this wedding and ran out of wine. What kind of wine was it? Was it strong drink or was it grape juice? Well, they ran out of that stuff, and so his mother comes up to him and says, uh, we're short. It's so embarrassing. Why don't you go make some wine? And the Lord responds, and he says, okay, bring some water, and he turns the water to wine. And that's what this Dr. Cliff Lewis is talking about, just like that. Now, I don't know how he did it. Here's six water pots, and he just, did he go, abracadabra, shazam. Or did he go, eeny, meeny, miny, moe? Or did he rub something? Or did he do some kind of gyration? What, what did he do to turn water, drinking water, regular water from a well into something called wine? What did he do? Well, we don't know what he did, but we know one thing. One time he turned water into blood in Egypt. So was that difficult to turn water into blood that flows through your veins or flows through an animal's veins? Was that difficult? Yes, it was miraculous. So if I'm thinking, and you should too, if he can do that, could he not turn something like water into wine? Sure. If, you're, if your limitation of God is confined to a test tube or to a chemistry lab or to your own, I don't understand, therefore you can't do it, then you have a very miniature, small God who cannot do anything except for what you think you can do, therefore God can do that because I can do that. But wait, God is bigger than you and me, okay? I hope you understand that. And if he can create the universe, the sun, the moon, the stars. Oh, by the way, the stars. It's so funny in Genesis. Oh, by the way, he created the stars too. And he numbered them too. And everything else. Too. If he can do that, do you think he cannot have a trouble? Would he have a trouble just turning water to wine? That's so simple. It's so simple. It's like telling a mechanic who's been a mechanic for 30 years, uh, can you change my oil? <laughs> I hope it's not too hard for you. A mechanic who has been experienced for 30 years, he'll say, I can do that with my eyes closed. It's no big deal. I'll sleep on my bed. Bring the car over here. I'll change the oil filter. You know that like, He can do it in his sleep. It's nothing to him. And so the man who comments on this miracle of the water to wine is simply saying, without any effort, he does that, which is what we would agree with because that's what God can do. All right, so he did that. It's not impossible. And uh, uh, water turned to wine. They drank it. Mm, wow, what is this? where did this come from? Who went out to settle them and got all this wine? Well, uh, was this wine strong drink? Well, the first definition of wine is strong drink. Now turn to some verses here. It's important that you turn to the verses. And it's good for you to turn to the verses and mark your verses in your Bible or highlight them on your, on your phone or device. Uh, Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5. Let's look at two simple definitions of wine, W-I-N-E. The first one is, it is strong drink. 
Isaiah 5, begin at verse number verse number 10. <clears throat> Yay, 10 acres of vineyard. That's a lot of land to grow grapes. Yea, ten acres of vineyard shall yield one bath, and the seed of a homer shall yield an ephah, Old Testament uh, ways of measuring things. Verse 11, Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink, that continue until night to wine inflame them. Well, that's a good statement about wine and how addictive it is. Here is strong drink made from grapes. It is so appealing. It is so tasty. It is so sweet to the man or to the woman that they get up early to drink it. They drink it all day. They continue until night. We might want to say until they pass out. This is a person who is hooked, addicted to alcohol beverage. A lot of people are like that in America and all over the world. Now, turn to Proverbs. Now, what you do is in your Bible... Put a note next to Isaiah 5, verse number 11, and write down Proverbs 20. Then you'll have a trail that you can follow. Proverbs 20. We'll cover some familiar verses about strong drink. <clears throat> Proverbs 20, verse number 1. Verse 1 tells us, wine, whatever this is, is a mocker. Now, I have yet to see people humbled, humiliated, make a fool out of themselves by drinking grape juice. But I've seen people make a fool out of themselves, lose money, lose everything because they've had a strong drink. Wine is a mocker. It makes fun of you. Strong drink is raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. So you have wine defined as strong drink in this passage. Now, it sounds like in verse in these two verses, just these two verses of several, that strong drink, if wine is strong drink, it's not good for anybody. Now, the effects of strong drink. We have to look at the Bible and what it says about the effects of strong drink. Then we'll understand why later on, when we look at the verses, God prohibits, why God says, do not partake of strong drink. Come to Proverbs chapter 31. <coughs> Proverbs chapter 31. Now you get strong coffee from Juan Valdez, but it won't make you behave like strong drink well. By the way, you know nowadays they still are saying as they have before, coffee is good for you. If you don't put all the creamers and things in it, people have said coffee is not good for you. Then it says coffee is good for you. So it goes back, eggs are good for you, now it's not good for you, now it's good for you. Milk is bad for you, whole milk is bad for you, now it's good for you. So they're going to go on a seesaw over the decades. You don't know what to believe anymore. Oh well. Uh, Proverbs 31. Let's look at the effects. What does wine or strong drink do to you? Now, if any of you here are guilty of strong drink, um, <laughs> you can say, amen, amen, amen. This is all true. Hopefully none of you are of the type <coughs> that are hooked, addicted to strong drink. And if you are, the Lord can help you get over it because he has helped many people. Chapter 31 of Proverbs, verse number one. The words of King Lemuel, whoever this king is, we don't know. The words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. Now, the Bible is recording something that a king said, that a mother said. What they said is not scripture, but what they said is recorded in the scripture. Because there's something to learn from people who are not Christian, no Christians in the Old Testament. There's something to learn from people who have sense. A carpenter has sense, an electrician has sense, a farmer has sense. They may not be Bible-believing Christians, but they have common sense. And you can learn from people that say things that are true. All right, so the words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. Verse 2, what, my son, and what, the son of my, of my womb, 
and what the son of my vows. Verse 3, give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. There are some things you don't do, she's telling the boy. Don't do certain things. Don't give away certain things that are precious to you. Don't give away your strength to women or to anything else, nor thy ways that which destroyeth kings. Don't do things. Don't think certain things. Don't get involved in certain things that are known to destroy kings. You're a king, Lemuel. Don't do things that will kill you, destroy your kingdom, and destroy your reign, and ruin you. Don't do these things. So that's the warning that the mother has given. Would you say the mother's concerned for her son, the king? Would you say she is a good mother because she warns her son about things that she knows is true? Now, sometimes people say, well, I love you so much, I won't tell you anything. What do you think about this? Should I or shouldn't I? Well, whatever you feel like doing, it's up. I hate when people say, it's up to you. It's up to you. You want to take this? Well, it's up to you. Well, tell me, first of all, the information that I need to know to make this decision because it is up to me. But don't just say it's up to you without information. I need information before you decide what to do. Do you jump out of an airplane? Should I jump out of an airplane? The guy says, it's up to you. Don't you miss, don't you leave out some information here? Number one, you better get some training by someone who jumps out of airplanes all the time. Number two, you better learn how to use a parachute. So to answer your question, do you jump out of an airplane? The question is a good question. The answer is a good answer. If you are trained, if you have a parachute, don't just jump out of an airplane. Don't just say, well, it's up to you. And that's your friend. It's up to you. And it doesn't make sense for you to tell someone it's up to you. Give the information, then they have to make their own decision based on the information. All right? Look at verse number three. Verse number four. It is not for kings. She's almost rebuking her son. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. Is that a Filipino name? Lemuel? It's a common Filipino name for a boy, a man, Lemuel. Oh, it's not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine. I wonder what kind of wine is she talking about? It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink. Well, that wine probably is not grape juice because grape juice does not inebriate your head. Grape juice does not make you think funny. Grape juice does not make, it might make you sick because you're drinking on an empty stomach. It's very sweet, you know. And sometimes grape juice is thick, syrupy, syrupy, syrupy thick like southern tea, sweet tea, syrupy thick. Um, you got to dilute that thing with water just to make it uh, tolerable. But uh, sweet tea and hush puppies go together in the south. If you've never had sweet tea, hush puppies, and uh, uh, barbecue sandwich, then and coleslaw, you're not a southerner. By the way, you know what southerners take when they go on a road trip? <coughs> There's about 10 things to take with them on a road trip when they drive around, like Sunday afternoon drive for three or four. You know what to take with them? All southerners take certain things. They take peanuts. They take a homemade sandwich. They take snacks. RC Cola and Moon Pie. <laughs> that makes it a spiritual adventure. <laughs> All right, so number four, the strong drink. No, 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 don't, son. Son, don't. Verse five, lest they drink, and here's the results of drinking. Lest they drink, and the next word is forget the law. Well, isn't the chief lawgiver of a country, the king, isn't that where the buck stops? Isn't he, uh, he's everything, he's king, he's judicial, everything. The law goes to him. And for him to know the law that he established, and for him to obey the law, he has to be in his right mind. But if they drink, they will forget the law. Drinking causes one to forget some things. Drinking causes people to forget what they know is right. And, and verse five, pervert. Pervert, that's changing. Pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. So you forget some things, you pervert what you think is the answer or the solution for a problem, and you're gonna get it all wrong because of the alcohol. Verse six, so don't do this. Then she says, here's what you can do. Here's when you should administer strong drink. What? 
Is there ever a time to give people strong drink? Well, look at verse number six. Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. Let him drink, verse seven, and forget his poverty, and remember his misery no more. So remember, drinking will cause a king to forget the law. Well, drinking also cause someone to forget your troubles. And sometimes people drink to become happy. They become, they're so sorrowful, so they go to a bar and they drink because they want to forget their troubles. And the bartender, he's always a friend to everybody. He never tells anybody, stop doing that, you shouldn't do that. He always goes along with them, giving them more and more drink because he understands too that drinking has the effect of causing them to forget their troubles or it caused them to uh, become happy or merry. So strong drink does that to people. Let him drink, verse 7, and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. So this is the effect or the effects of drinking strong drink wine that is fermented, alcoholic in its content. And um, you've heard of the saints been going on for decades, don't drink and, don't drink and. Now that means this, you can drink if you're sitting at home or at a party. That's what that means. But don't drink and drive because you're out of control. Your senses, your reaction time is so dull, you're gonna get into a wreck. You're gonna hurt, you're gonna kill somebody. The most famous case in Hawaii was back in 1985 or 86, but along um, uh, the, the east side, along uh, Bloho, there, Bucky Lake. Bucky like ran into a family in a van and killed him. And when they got to his car, all these beer bottles came out of the backseat of his dad. Bucky Lake, famous case. Bucky Lake killed a family because he was drinking and driving. Okay, what about drinking when you're not driving? Should that be okay then? Now for Uber drivers, it's a good thing because then you get a lot of rides. Because people don't want to drink and drive, so they're gonna be responsible. But it's okay to drink still. Well, the effect is still the same if you're in a home in a business party, a Christmas party, a, a, a court, whatever, a home gathering, drinking still has an effect on anybody. So it does affect you no matter what you're doing, <clears throat> where you are. So I happen driving is more, more noticeable and more deadly because you're gonna affect somebody else. But drinking affects you to the place you're forgetting a lot of things and you lose a lot of things. Uh, we'll see some verses about what you lose when you drink, strong drink, okay? All right? Genesis chapter 9. Turn there quickly. It's already 10 o'clock. I can't believe this. Genesis chapter 9. The effects of alcohol. It's almost like teaching and preaching to the choir because you understand these things. But let's look at what the Bible says and get refreshed. And remember, not forget, the effects of alcohol. <coughs> Genesis chapter 9. After the flood is over, the ark has landed. On the mountains of Ararat, the water has receded, and they have come out of the ark. How many people in the ark, by the way? For one dollar. How many people in the ark? I'm gonna write this down. One dollar. How many people in the ark? Raise your hand, please. When I say go, ready? When I say go, ready? Go. Samuel. Uh, Joseph. Wait, Grandma already gave the answer, right? Did you know it already? Joseph knew the answer. Okay. How many women were there in that group? Ready, go. Again, ready, go. Samuel. Four women? Can you name them? Okay, you're right, you're right. Now, uh, so the ark has landed, they've come out. Time goes by, time goes by. We don't know how much time went by. But something bad happened. Let's look at what happened here and learn the lessons from history and not repeat the lessons. Uh, verse number, Genesis chapter 9, verse number 20, verse number 18. Verse 18. Watch carefully. And the sons of Noah that went forth of the ark were, number one, Shem, that's the Asian. Ham, that's the black, that's the dark-skinned people. Japheth, that's the white guy that everybody hates. <laughs> All right, shouldn't be that way. That's racist to hate someone because of the skin color. It's wrong. All right, and Ham, the father of Canaan, verse 19. 
These are the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread. Verse 20. And Noah began to be a husband then, and he planted a vineyard. Guess what he grew? A vineyard. He grew grapes. Now, there's other things you can grow that's in a vineyard, but verse 21, he drank of the wine. He drank of the wine and was drunken. Now, what did he drink? He drank of the grapes, so he made something from the grapes that he grew, so time had to go on. He had to tend. The problem was easy to grow these things because the earth was pretty, like, brand new, fresh, starting all over again kind of thing. And he drank of the wine, so he made... He, he crushed it, he did the process, and uh, he got a fermented drink here. Why? Because he got drunk. Grape juice does not make you drunk, but a fermented drink does. And was drunken. And then look what happens. He was uncovered within his tent. Oh, he was naked. <coughs> so he lost his, excuse <coughs> me, <coughs> he lost his inhibitions. And when people drink, like in, 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 in uh, Noah, he took off his clothes. Why would you do that? This, this is like a phenomenon here. But certain things do happen eventually, and it all began with drinking something that was strong. So this is the effect of strong drink. Now, there's another case in which bad things happen too in Genesis. We won't go that one. But you have the clue already that strong drink is never good for you to consume. <clears throat> Now come to Proverbs chapter 4. Here's something else that is common when you drink. They make movies out of these things. These are movie scenes. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 4. Come to verse 17. Four seventeen, for they eat the bread of wickedness. Do you know people can fellowship over something that's wrong? There's nothing wrong with eating bread, but it's the fellowship factor that makes a difference as to how it influences you for good or for evil. And here you have people eating bread of wickedness. That means there's a company of people that their their basis of friendship is how they can do something bad for some towards somebody else, how they can get something from somebody uh, like. In thieves, I saw something where uh, a couple of couple of teenagers they have this tool that can break windshields or glass. It's a sharp point; you just hit it, and it causes stress. And that thing shatters. And these guys are going around shattering cars in California, in the Bay Area. They go around, they wear hoods, and they go and reach back. If they see a bag in the back seat, they'll go and just reach and grab it like that. And there were two guys, and a guy who had broke, been broken into several times, he began to get smart. He began to push back and he put a little camera in one of the bags. It was a setup and uh, the camera was recording the guys in the car and how they were talking, what they were going to do with the, you know. And so here's this little secret camera recording all what they're saying, what they're doing. And the two guys are friends, they're buddies. One guy is the more dominant in personality. The other guy is the power. And this guy is saying, ah, oh, what on, come on, let's go. And this guy's talking, doing something more crying. Sometimes the bread of uh, fellowship is because people are wrong and evil. And so this is why the Bible warns about friends that are not really friends, but they just want to get someone else, a companion, to help them in their evil doing. And who gets busted? They all get busted. So Proverbs 4.17. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. Isn't that interesting how in movies and in productions, when there is a... Uh, alcohol is involved there's always a fight there's always a fight scene now to a man a fight scene is appealing because you want to see a guy you know act like a man and not be a, a feminine in his you know what like he defends himself defends somebody else and so that appeals to the the manhood of man in some way but the fact is when there's alcohol flowing you're going to have violence going to happen it always goes like that the pattern does not change when people drink alcohol or strong drink, they will forget things, they're losing ambitions, and they will sometimes, depends on the setting, get violent. And then I would say, 
Well, what did you expect? The police arrive, 911 is called, they show up, they have to cuff people, take them off there to jail and in cell block C and all that. Why? Because they got strong drink in them and they caused them to react to things in the wrong way. It gets worse. It gets worse. If this is not bad enough, it gets worse. Proverbs chapter 23. <clears throat> Can you not get the hint as one who reads the Bible that God would rather have you not get into trouble than to do these things because people are doing it and you get caught up with it and you get in trouble as well. People have lost jobs because of alcohol. This is why a pilot cannot fly if he's been drinking several hours before his flight. How'd you like to know if you're a pilot that's flying you from here to LA or to uh, Texas, he's been drinking three hours before he got on board the plane to fly, fly, fly that plane, fly that plane, I'm drunk. Oh. You see, I, I, I'm not going to say that, but uh, can, you, can you imagine this guy, how he's reading his cheat sheet, his manual, and he's blurry-eyed and things. Would you fly with him if you, I would not. I'd get another flight. He'd get fired. <clears throat> or an air traffic controller under the influence, directing airplane traffic, would you trust him? How about a city bus driver? Would you trust him if he's under the influence? I would not. How about a school bus driver? I would not. How about a doctor? I would not. How about a surgeon? I would not. Now, there are golfers that played golf drunk and then won. That's very rare. John Daly. John Daly is known for being a drunk on the professional course. And he's won tournaments being drunk. But that's the exception. He laughs at it. He says, oh, yeah, I was drunk, you know. And, uh, well, that's not something to make fun of. That's not something to laugh. That's not something to say, I, what, a, what a model for man. I want to be like him. No. All right, where am I? Proverbs 23, yes, verse 29. It gets worse. 23, 29. Who hath woe? What's another word for woe? It's not woe, Nelly. Telling a horse, woe, woe. It's a different kind of note. Who has woe? Sorrow. Heartache. Raise your hand if this is you. I, tell me if you agree, raise your hand. I want Sorrow. Raise your hand. Okay. In the near, I want woe. Okay. I would like bad things to happen to me in the new year. Raise your hand. Well, here is a man who hath woe, who has sorrow, who has trouble. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? This is fighting, arguing, strife, friction. Who hath contentions? Who hath babblings? You notice when people get drunk, they just talk and talk silly things. They say things that's on their mind. They say what they're thinking that they have held back consciously. But now that they're drunk, they just say whatever they want to say, what's in their head. How many people have said things they, when they were drunk and they wish they hadn't said it the next day? You said this about me. When? Last night. What did I say? I did? I didn't mean that. Well, but you said it. You said it. And the alcohol brought it out. So the self-control is gone because the alcohol took away the inhibitions and the self-control. And they begin to babble. Yikes. Verse 29. Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? Verse 30. Well, here's the answer. They that tarry long at the wine. That's not grape juice. They that tarry long at the wine they that go to seek mixed wine, 31, look not upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth aright uh, itself right now. You can get real technical about these verses. Let me just point out the, the big picture here is that alcohol, strong drink, is not something you consume because of all the things it does to you. Verse 32, at the end, the results, at the end, at the end of the drinking night, at the end, it biteth like a serpent. And it stingeth like an adder. So this is 32 is to say it hurts. It causes pain. Verse 33. First it said it causes sorrow. Woes in verse 20. Now it says it causes pain. What you hurt a man, what you hurt a woman more than just uh, the sorrow about things? What bites, what stings? I can tell you without knowing 
Most people here are so grieved if someone robbed them or if someone um, scammed them so that their whole bank account is drained. You know what that is like? That's like a getting bit by adder. That's like getting stung. It hurts. A woman, a senior citizen, I hate when this happens, a senior citizen, 71 years old, 71 years old, was deceived by a phone call and they got into her bank account. Now, I don't know where she got all this money, but she had 1.5 million that she lost over two or three phone calls. Senior citizen, that stung. That stung so badly, makes you so fierce to know people are doing that thing all day long. How can I scam these people over here? How can I do this? How can, how can I deceive them? Well, verse 32, at the last it bindeth like a serpent, it stingeth like an adder. 33, thine eyes shall behold trained women, this is for men, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. The things that he would not do normally, he then does because he's not in control. 34, yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. Now, never go, Francis, is this true? On a sailboat, if the water is rough and you're feeling seasick, is it true you should never go down below deck? Because it's worse, isn't it? Okay, that's what this guy's like. Then I've never been on the top of a mast. What is that like? It just multiplies, magnifies the motions, right? And you're really sick. You ever get seasick, anybody? Anybody get seasick over here? Okay, anybody else? How about motion sickness? You, you look, there's nothing like, it's such a blessing to throw up. Amen. When you don't want to. When you can't help it. And, I mean, you feel better after it, but it's a sick, sick, feeling to have to want to grow up. Well, here's a man who is under the influence. He's, he's drunk. Verse 35. They have stricken me. Thou shalt thou shalt thou shalt thou say and I was not sick. They have beaten me. I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. He's hooked. It's incredible how a person can suffer, get stung, get bitten so badly one night and the next day. Hey, you want to come with me to the bar? The Get Happy Bar. You know there's a bar in North Carolina, Jacksonville? I don't know if it's still there or not, but Highway 17 South. I remember this now, Keaton. Years ago, Highway 17 South, a bar. You know what the name of this bar is? I read on the board for you to get the effect. Okay, this name of the bar. How appropriate. Now, don't look. So, right on the board. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Now, really, don't peek. Don't peek. Don't cheat. This is a test. <laughs> don't look. Now, when I say look, you look at the name of the, the bar and what it's called. Don't look now. <coughs> now you can look. The name of the bar is called that. <laughs> I don't think they understood what they were doing. They're writing the book of Proverbs. Come to our bar and get wrecked. <sighs> Boy, shipwreck. What a name for a bar. A lot of times, and why is it called happy hour? Happy hour? What's so happy about the world has perverted so many millions of people by advertising, promoting alcohol and governments who should know better. It's a legalized substance. And you know what's a legalized substance? My suspicion is because a lot of politicians, they like to drink. The money it brings in post career as a politician unbelievable money that flows at the expense of millions, hundreds of thousands of uh, lives and homes wrecked, deaths on the highways, all these things, violence, people getting shot, people getting beat up, domestic violence. <clears throat> A lot of it has got something to do with alcohol. Tell me, is there anything good about strong drink? Well, it's if you're gonna get surgery in the Civil War, Drink some strong drink and bite that piece of wood while they cut off your arm. That's when strong drink is good. Okay? It dulls your senses. Well, uh, let me give you some quick warnings, all right? Uh, just write these down. 
Luke 21, 34. Well, let's look at this one verse and I'll have to pull up and read some verses. Luke 21, 34. <clears throat> Strong drink is one definition of wine. And take heed. Pay attention to this. Take heed. Be careful. Take heed to yourselves, lest by lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting. You know what surfeiting is? That's another way of saying gluttony, overeating. So it says, be careful about that. Surfeiting. And and the next word is drunkenness and he gives other things but the fact that the lord said this must mean he doesn't think it's right to do romans 13 13 uh, a couple more romans 13 13 you're not too far away and you can find romans 13 13 pretty fast 13 13 to all christians it says this 13 13 let us walk Honestly, now, the word walk in the New Testament is not just walking how you walk. The word walk is a statement about how you live. Let us walk in the light. Let us live in the light. Let us walk honestly. Let us live honestly. And then he says, as in a day. Live as if the sunlight, the bright noon sun is on you. Everyone can see what you're doing. Let us walk honestly, as in a day, not in rioting and... Let's all say that word out loud if you see it. And drunkenness. Drunkenness. He lists other things too, but he does mention drunkenness there. So there is a, no, don't get to that. Don't do that. Don't, do, don't start to get to that place. Ephesians 5.18, be not drunk with wine. Be not drunk with wine. 1 Timothy 3.8, an elder must not be given too much wine. Now, you have the word much wine. In 1 Timothy 3, not given to much wine, which is like saying you can have some wine. Now, let's be careful about this. And then it says, be not drunk with wine, where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So those two verses seem to say, seem to say, you can drink some, just don't, just don't abuse it. And did you know Paul told Timothy, take a little wine for thy stomach's sake? So sometimes wine is used as a medicine. Sometimes grape juice is used as medicine. Sometimes little alcoholic content in, in wine is good for your good for something. Okay? But there's a lot of abuse where people are just drinking because it says so. And so the question now comes in: uh, can you drink wine as long as you don't abuse it? Or it is excess? So you have this group of Christians who say, we're gonna open them a beer factory because Christians are allowed to drink beer as long as they don't drink it in excess. How convenient. How convenient. We can drink at a New Year's party. We can drink at a birthday party. Drink at a graduation party. How convenient because it says as long as you don't get drunk. How convenient. Now, um, to answer that one, I would say it like this. When the Lord gave instructions in John chapter uh, 13, 14, and 15, 16, around there, about the Last Supper, uh, what did they use to drink when they ate the bread? Let's turn over there. Uh, the reference would be Matthew 26. <clears throat> Matthew 26. I have a guiding principle from Matthew 26. Now, no matter what you read, no matter what you research, you're going to find a lot of commentaries. There's about 15 commentaries that will tell you uh, this is what it says, this is what it means, and uh, it means this, it means that. And it comes down to you can drink as long as you don't get drunk. You're going to get that opinion. <clears throat> They're going to say, for the integrity of the Scripture... And for the background of the scripture and getting back to the original meaning of the scripture, you can drink as long as you don't get drunk. That's what they're going to tell you. And then look at this to help you decide what to do. Matthew 26, 27. This is the last supper, Jesus with his disciples. We'll cover that in due time in the life of Christ. <clears throat> Matthew 26, and verse 27. Verse 26, 26. 26, 26. <clears throat> as, they, as they were eating the bread of the Last Supper, as they were eating, 
Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Verse 29, for I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So he mentions, he mentions this, this drink. He calls it, this is my blood. It's, it's symbolic of it. He says, this fruit of the vine. He's drinking something in the cup. What is this thing that's drinking? Is this strong drink? Is this strong drink? Strong drink is the definition of wine in celebration like a wedding. When the Ark of the Covenant came back, David recovered it from the Philistines. They celebrated they had wine. Likely something a little bit to make them happy. But would this be appropriate for the Lord to talk about his coming death? This in the cup, the grape, the grape juice, I say, is symbolic of his blood. Would that be something to be happy about? No. Is this something you celebrate? No. Is it something you go, whoopee, yay, happy, happy? Is, that's not the occasion for you to drink strong drink. So that's one thing to think about. Here's another thing to think about. Uh, come to Titus chapter 1. And I'll say as you turn there, a lot of, lot of sincere men say it's okay to drink as long as you don't abuse it. But I'm looking at the principle, First Tim, uh, Titus chapter 1, and verse number 7. Titus 1, verse number 7. Titus is left on the island of Crete to set in order the churches that are out of order and to ordain elders in every church. And then he gets qualifications. Watch carefully. Verse number five. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, things that are lacking, not there, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. Verse six. Here's qualifications. Watch carefully. Now, if, if any be blameless, if any man be blameless, one of the qualifications, a man, First <clears throat> Timothy 3 talks about that. If any be blameless, the husband, that's a man, of one wife. You know, nowadays, uh, let's see, who's, who, what state was it, is it, that is going to allow you to change the birth certificates to any gender you want? There's a state. Likely California, but it's not, I think it's Minnesota. But I'm not sure about which state it was, but they are allowing you to change birth certificate to identify the gender as you please. Now, this is not going to end. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, you might be saying in New Bibles, the person of one wife, the person of one person, <laughs> the person of one person, the thing of one thing, the blob of one blob. The alien with one alien. Let's not offend anybody. Let's just destroy the Bible. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, watch carefully, not accused of right or unruly. Verse 7, watch, watch, watch. For a bishop, a pastor, must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, stubborn, not soon angry, hot-headed, not given to... What? Not given to... No striker, not given to filthy looker. So these are the, and eight and nine, and so on. But he says not given to wine. Why would he say that? Because wine, like an airplane pilot, like a traffic controller, like a guy driving under the influence, is not good for him. He must be sober-minded. You have the word sober-minded several times in the New Testament. Strong dream makes you not sober-minded. First uh, Timothy 3, qualifications, verse number 3. First Timothy 3, verse 3, not given to wine. Not given wine. Now, in the Old Testament, one particular type of person was not to drink at all. That'd be a Nazarite who took a vow of Nazarite. So, Numbers chapter six: no alcohol drink, no uh, no strong drink, not at all. Well, the pastor of the New Testament church is not a Nazarite. 
but he is a minister of God and man of God, he's not to drink, not, not to have any strong drink. Maybe not even Coca-Cola. Just kidding. But the strong drink has all the bad effects and it does something to your brain. And you cannot be sober-minded if you're out of your mind. You can't be sober-minded if you had a drink. Well, I can control myself. I can handle it. I can handle six beers. Okay, smarty. <coughs> okay, smarty pants. I can handle six beers. I can handle a case. I don't, I, I can still drive. No, is that right? Well, maybe you can. What about your testimony? Another reason why uh, strong drink is a no-no for a Christian and for a pastor is because uh, influence on your thinking. You can't be so mind. And also testimony. Do you know that um, uh, Paul says, follow me even as I follow Christ in 1 Corinthians? So he's saying, here's a rule. The Christian, who is a more mature Christian, he is to live a life of what a Christian should be like for those who are around him that are not so mature. He has to be good influence on others so that they also see embodying this man, this woman, what a good Christian is. I want to be like that good Christian. He has to set an example. How can you set an example if you're not under control? The, the control is self-control. The control is you don't do some things, even if you think it's okay to drink some, you don't do it for the sake of other people. You say, well, I'll just be my own, I, I don't care what anybody thinks. You should care what people think. You should care. You should care. When I see a cop, if he's not in his uniform and he's got, let's say he's got his, his jacket on, he's got sh shorts and flip-flops, I have lost respect for him. I've lost authority in his badge because he doesn't seem to be properly attired to be on the job. But uh, if I see him, if I see him as he is supposed to be in the public, I, I, I respect that officer because I'm supposed to in the first place, but I, I want to more respect him because he looks the part, he looks the role. He means business. And shouldn't you as a Christian mean business too as a Christian? Shouldn't you say, I need to be the best Christian possible. I want to portray the best Christian I can possible this stage of my life. And I want others to follow my example, not for self-glorification, but for the fact that I want people to see what it's supposed to be like and I want them to grow. Well, if that's how you think, no strong drink is in your life. Okay, so next time we're going to have the Lord's Supper Communion. Guess what we'll have as you pass around the cup, the little, the little cups. It's going to be purple. It looks like something, but it's not. It looks like alcohol. It's like a fermented grape juice, but it's not. It's just grape juice. It so happens to be Welch's or uh, some uh, house brand of juice. It's just grape juice. So it would never be fermentation. It would not be that at all. Because it is a celebration of the Lord's Supper, but it's not. It's looking back to the death of Christ. How can you be frivolous and giddy about that? You cannot. So it's a little different. So there is strong drink and then there's grape juice. So I'll broadly say these are the two definitions for wine in the Bible. And we do not, as Christians, lean toward drinking to the place where I, you know, I need to stop. I've had four, so I better stop. We're not going to go that route because we have to be sober-minded, under control, as if I'm flying an airplane, as if I'm an example of what a Christian should be. I do not want to discourage anybody else. Now, to have the best testimony, um, then you, you stay as close to Christ as you can, not as far as you can, not on the fence. Now, if this little platform was a fence and this was a drop off on a cliff, I said a poly lookout. Poly, have you been to poly lookout? Who has not? You should go if you haven't. Well, it's a big drop looking down to the north side. But there's a little barrier about this tall, a concrete wall. If somebody came up that, on the, there's two levels, the top and the middle one with the little guardrail. You come to the guardrail and then there's a drop off here. Now, what if you said, uh, I think I'll just go as, you tell a kid, go as close as you can to the guardrail. But don't, don't fall off of it, but just get as close as you can. Well, was that what you do to your kid? You know what you would say to him? you say, no, there's a guard right here, there's a wall here. Now, stand back, stay where I am. Don't go closer than necessary. You can see just as well, but don't go so close to it because anything can happen. And when anything happens, and accidents do happen, and you fall off, there's only one place to go. It's down. 
So the rule or the principle is stay away from the edge. Stay away from the edge. Stay away from the edge. Uh, another way of explaining this would be this. You put a fence here, or you put a fence here. Your house is here. Tell the kids you got all this place, right? You put a fence there with the buffer zone here, or you say you put the fence here, and uh, now don't go one inch past the fence, honey, because there's a hundred, a two hundred feet drop. What do you do if you're a parent? Well, if you're a stupid parent, you put the fence right there, and you trust your kids to not be kiddish. You're a fool. Kids climb, kids jump, kids jump, and kids run and they crawl and things. Okay, that's what kids will do. That's normal for kids. They're almost like dogs. You put the fence far in case they get over here, no danger. In case you get over here, no danger. Over here, no danger. You still got a zone here, but right over here, no chance of recovery. So don't drink alcohol, all right? I'll just put it out plainly, subtly. <laughs> subtly. All right? I was telling Winston and I about um, it's good for people to know what you believe or what you stand for or don't stand for, so there are no surprises. If anybody asks you, well, what do they believe down at IBC? Do they drink, do they have alcoholic beverage for communion? If they do, I want to come. No, they don't believe that. That's good. That people know what you believe and what you don't do. That's healthy. That's good. Don't want to be ambiguous and vague about what someone believes or not. Okay? All right, any questions? <clears throat> Went a little bit long today. And so next Sunday, we'll continue with the life of Christ. He has called at least four or five disciples. We're going to follow them now into the New Testament.